And when the time came for the purification according to the law of Moses, they brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord, as it is written in the law of the Lord, Every male who first opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord, and to offer a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves, or two young pigeons. Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came in the Spirit into the temple. And when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. And his father and his mother marveled at what was said about him. And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel, and for a sign that is opposed. And a sword will pierce through your own soul as sin also, so that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. And there was a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Phanuel of the tribe of Asher. She was advanced in years having lived with her husband seven years from when she was a virgin, and then as a widow until she was 84. She did not depart from the temple, worshiping and fasting with prayer night and day. And coming up at that very hour, she began to give thanks to God and to speak of him to all who were waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, you are good. God, we thank you for your word. We pray that you would use it today to shape our hearts. Help us to understand it, to learn from it, to submit to it. God, I pray that you would use me, that you would be with me as I preach today, and use the words that I speak to build up your people and to glorify your great names. In Jesus' name I pray. If you ever been in a hurry to get somewhere, just to get stuck at seemingly every red light possible? In times like that, it seems like the red lights last about twice as long as normal. And what's even worse when you're in a hurry is if the person in front of you at the light isn't paying attention when the light turns green. Those couple seconds that it might take for the person to get going seem like an eternity. Those might be some of my least gracious moments. Uh, it doesn't take long before I'm laying on the horn and letting my anger and impatience get the best of me. And while I definitely need to learn to be more patient with people in those situations, uh, the fact of the matter is that everyone should be paying attention when they're driving. <laughs> when the light turns green, it requires a response. It's time to go. Not only is it expected of you by your fellow drivers, it's actually required by law. You can't just sit there. And it's the same with the red light. When the light turns red, you've got to stop. You can't just ignore traffic lights. Unless it's yellow, then you just hang in whatever. <laughs> traffic lights require a response. Well, as we'll see in our text today, when Jesus arrived on earth, 
his arrival required a response. And we're specifically looking at two people who had devoted their lives to waiting for the coming Messiah. And when he arrives, they realize what this means for the world. Salvation has arrived. This is life-changing news. It's the fulfillment of what they've been waiting for for centuries, for their whole lives. Nothing would be the same again now that he has arrived. This was everything to them. Let me ask you, what does the arrival of Jesus mean to you? What kind of response have you had to his coming? Have you responded to him at all? If someone looked at your life, would they see any evidence of joy in the coming of Jesus at all? Jesus has arrived. We can't just sit there at the green light. If you have trusted in Christ as your Lord and Savior, you must respond to him. Our lives should be marked by the life-changing salvation that he brings. And if it's not, you might need to ask yourself, why isn't it? What is my life characterized by? What have I been seeking fulfillment in? Have I given myself over to the cares of this world without any thought about eternity? Have I grown apathetic toward God and everything he's given me in Christ? Have I ever really trusted Jesus at all? These are important questions we need to ask ourselves. And as we'll see in our text today, the arrival of Jesus should cause those who love him to respond in faith to his salvation. And there are three ways that this text shows us that we should respond. First, we should praise God for his salvation. Second, we should ponder God's salvation. And third, we should proclaim God's salvation. Praise, ponder, proclaim. I know David's proud of that alliteration. <laughs> First, the arrival of Jesus should cause us to praise God for our salvation. Verses 22 through 24 kind of set the scene for this passage. Mary and Joseph were bringing Jesus to the temple in Jerusalem. And there were a couple reasons why they were doing this, to fulfill the Old Testament ceremonial law. Verse 22 mentions their need for purification. Uh, this had to do with the Mosaic Law's requirements for mothers who recently gave birth to purify themselves. They were supposed to bring a lamb and a dove or a pigeon, or if they couldn't afford to bring a lamb, they could bring two doves or two pigeons instead. And as we see in verse 24, they brought the offering. Jesus was born into a poor family. This isn't the kind of family that you would expect the God of the universe to come from. And the other reason why they're bringing Jesus to the temple is to present him to the Lord. And again, this is in fulfillment of the Mosaic law. The firstborn male was to be presented to the Lord. And what's notable here through all this is that even though this family was poor, and travel was likely not easy for them, especially for the newborn. They're still making the journey in order to keep God's law, to show their love for Him to their leaders. When they get to the temple, they meet a man named Simeon. 
Simeon was a prophet who was known to be righteous and devout, and he had been waiting for the consolation of Israel. It's kind of a big phrase. Consolation is another word for comfort, but it's not the kind of comfort like a cozy blanket or an easy life. That's not the kind of comfort that Jesus brings. It's more like the kind of comfort that someone might give you after losing a loved one, or comfort that you might give your child after their feelings get hurt. And when Simeon talks about Israel, he's referring not just to the nation of Israel, but to all of God's people. So in other words, he's been waiting for the one who would bring comfort to God's people. And what's fascinating about Simeon is what we see in verse 26. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. In other words, God had promised Simeon that before he died, he would meet the Messiah. We don't know how many babies Simeon saw come into the temple throughout his life, but when Mary and Joseph, this unassuming poor couple, brought their baby, Simeon knew was. And how does he respond? When he sees Jesus, he doesn't hesitate. He doesn't respond half-heartedly. He scoops him up in his arms and praises God for the arrival of his Lord and Savior. Verse 29. Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word, for my eyes have seen your salvation. Simeon knows that because he has just seen Jesus, his own death is imminent. He doesn't fear. There's no sense of dread. He praises God. The joy of holding the Messiah in his arms far outweighs any dread that he could have about death. The arrival of Jesus means salvation for his people. Nothing else matters to Simeon, not even his own death. He had been waiting for this moment his whole life. Now, it's all that matters. Reading this passage kind of reminds me of those surprise military homecoming videos where someone in the military surprises a family member by returning home unannounced. They're fun to watch if you ever looking for a good cry. Um, a lot of these videos are of parents who are in the military surprising their young kids at school or at sporting events. And no matter what the kid is doing, once they spot their parent, once they realize their mom or dad is home, without fail, they drop whatever they're doing and just run into their arms. There are tears of joy, there are long hugs. In that moment, nothing else matters but the arrival of the one that they've been waiting for. When Simeon spotted Jesus, nothing else mattered to him. He embraced him in his arms and praised God for the enormous gift that had been given to him and all of God's people. We aren't Simeon. We don't have the privilege of holding the baby Jesus in our arms. That doesn't mean that we can't embrace him. He revealed himself to Simeon as a baby. He reveals himself to us in his word. If you want to see Jesus, 
embrace his word. The Bible has everything that we need to know about God in it. His words, the Bible, they hold the message of salvation. If you have trusted in Jesus as your Lord and Savior, then that salvation is yours. How can we not respond in praise? When we think of praise, we often think of singing. And that absolutely is a form of praise that God has commanded us to pursue. But our praise should not be limited to Sunday mornings or to singing along the radio in the car. The fact that salvation is ours through Jesus should lead us to a whole life of praise. 1 Thessalonians 5 says, Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Philippians 4, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. 1 Corinthians 10, So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Everything that we do in life is either bringing God glory or it isn't. And a life that glorifies God is a life of praise. A life that revolves around God in service to Him more than ourselves is a life of praise. Jesus has arrived, and with Him, He has brought salvation. And this should cause us to respond in praise. But in order to be compelled to praise, we must also spend time pondering his salvation. Verse 33 says that Mary and Joseph marveled at what was said about Jesus. Now they already knew who Jesus was, that he was the Messiah, they had been told that by the angels, but they were still wrapping their minds around this. There had to be doubts going through their minds, even through it all. Who are we to give birth to God? Who are we to raise God? But here, Simeon, this well-respected and righteous prophet, a trusted source in the community, he's confirming everything that has been told to them. But he has more to say. He next turns to Mary and Joseph and speaks to them. He says in verse 34, This child is appointed for the fall and risings of many in Israel, and for a sign that's opposed. And a sword will pierce through your own soul also. Simeon is prophesying to them about what Jesus' time on earth would look like. He's telling them that Jesus is not here to start a revolution against the Roman Empire. He's not here to conquer all of Israel's earthly enemies. Jesus is here to suffer. He will bring down the high and mighty and exalt the lowly, but it would be through his suffering, humiliation, Death. He warns Mary that his suffering would be her suffering. Simeon doesn't just focus on the blessings, the good things about salvation. Immediately after rejoicing and praising God for the arrival of the Savior, he focuses in on the price that Jesus would have to pay to purchase our salvation. Sticking with the military theme, Every Memorial Day, we take time to honor those members in the military who have given their lives in service to our country. And if we're being honest, most of us probably spend very little time considering the immense sacrifices made by our military personnel. We take for granted our freedom from oppression, our 
comfy modern lives, our safety. These things were bought at a price. Memorial Day is a day when we take a moment to remember these things. If we didn't stop to ponder all these things, we would never be able to appreciate the true weight of all these privileges that we enjoy. And that's what Simeon is doing here. His joy in the arrival of the salvation of Israel is partnered with his acknowledgement of the price that it would cost. God's salvation was not going to be won by some glamorous, glamorous, effortless victory march. His life was going to be messy and hard and painful. Jesus came to do the dirty work. This should not be lost on us. God created this world with the intention of sending Jesus to die a terrible death. He wasn't obligated to do this. We're the ones who deserve to suffer and to die for our sins, not him. It's so comfy in our lives as Christians that many of us probably ponder the cost of our salvation about as often as we remember our, the veterans who have given their lives for our country. We might dwell on it a few times a year around Christmas or leading up to, up to Easter. More often than not, we're more concerned with the cost of gas than the cost of our salvation. So how do we ponder our salvation in a way that brings glory to God? Well, it can't come from within us. It can't just be thoughts. Simeon's prophecies didn't come from within him. They came from the revelation of the Holy Spirit. And we, too, need to turn to the revelation of the Holy Spirit in God's Word. It's January 1st. It's the time of year when people make resolutions, and many of us are probably looking to start a Bible reading plan. And those are a great place to start. I use one. There are many different formats out there. If you have to find one that fits your reading style. Whatever it takes, we need to be reading and feeding on God's word regularly. Jesus said in Matthew 4, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Jesus wasn't lying. If you stop eating and drinking for long enough, you'll die. If you aren't reading God's word, you are starving yourself. It's in his word that we encounter his salvation revealed to us in Christ. It's there that we encounter Jesus and there that he meets us. And it's by feeding on his words that we are moved by the Holy Spirit to ponder his salvation. Jesus came to earth to accomplish, to accomplish the salvation of all trust in him. And this should lead us to praise him for his salvation and to ponder his salvation. And his arrival should also cause us to proclaim his salvation. In verse 36, we're introduced to Anna, the prophetess. She was the daughter of Phanuel of the tribe of Asher. She was advanced in years, having lived with her husband seven years from when she was a virgin, and then as a widow until she was 84. She did not depart from the temple, worshiping with fasting and prayer night and day. Like Simeon, she was a prophet. And since she was from the tribe of Asher, it's likely that she wasn't from Jerusalem, but she made it her home as she committed her life to waiting for the Messiah. 
It says she had married young and her husband died after just seven years of marriage. And after her husband's death, she would have been justified to take a new husband. But instead, she chose to live her life in a very countercultural way. She instead moved to Jerusalem, decided to spend all of her time in the temple, fasting and praying and worshiping night and day. And the point of all this background information on Anna is that, like Simeon, she was an honored member of the religious community. Both Simeon and Anna were people who were respected and trusted in their communities. Verse 38 says, And coming up at that very hour, she began to give thanks to God and to speak of him to all who were waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. The context suggests that she witnessed this encounter between Simeon and Jesus. And as a prophetess, she realized, just like Simeon, that this was the Messiah. And she too couldn't be helped. She too couldn't help but to respond to Jesus. And like Simeon, her initial reaction is to stop and just give thanks to God. But then rather than getting more introspective like Simeon, it says she began to speak of him, Jesus, to all who were waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. She knew what was happening. Salvation had arrived in the form of this baby, and she needed to let people know. One of the greatest cinematic masterpieces of our generation is, without a doubt, it would be Tommy Wolf. <laughs> if you haven't seen it, it's just this beauty copy from the 90s. Uh, it stars Chris Farley, who plays Tommy, this fun-loving, notorious underachiever, and early in the movie, Tommy is just finishing up college, and he discovers that he got a D-plus in one of his classes, and you just see shock just fall over his face as he receives this news, and initially, you might think that he's going to be upset about getting such a low grade, but the expression of shock quickly turns to excitement. He starts running up to everyone, shaking them by the shoulders, yelling, I passed! I got a D-plus! I'm gonna graduate! The scene ends with him doing cartwheels down the hallway, screaming the news at the top of his lungs. Well, a D-plus is not a good grade. But Tommy knew what it meant for him. It meant he was finally going to graduate college. Anna sees this unassuming baby that most people probably wouldn't get a second glance. She knows who he is, and she knows what his arrival means for God's people. And I doubt that she was doing hard meals and shaking people by the shoulders, screaming in their faces, but nonetheless, she couldn't contain herself. She gave thanks to God and went around spreading the news that the Messiah had arrived. Anna received just a glimpse of the Savior, and it was enough to compel her to break it the cycle of life that she had gotten so used to, to begin boldly proclaiming the gospel. The arrival of Jesus had changed her life. But Jesus doesn't give us just a mere glimpse of himself. He has revealed himself to us in his word. He has shown us the way to salvation. He says in John 14, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. In Acts 4, Peter says of Jesus, 
and there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. And this is what Mary is so excited about. Salvation had arrived through Jesus. Church, don't keep this news to yourself. The world needs to know about this salvation. The world needs to know that this Jesus has been appointed for the falling and rising of many. There is no neutral ground with Jesus. Jesus says in Matthew 12, whoever is not with me is against me. The arrival of Jesus means salvation for all who are with him. But it also means condemnation for all who are against him. Christianity is not a game. The church is not a social club. The news about Jesus is life and death. It's serious and it's eternal. But as heavy as that is, there's a reason why the news about Jesus is called good news. It's because no one is left without hope. Christ paid a sufficient sacrifice on the cross for all those who believe in him. Faith in Jesus is the way to salvation. It's not up to us. This is good news. And this news needs to be shared. Eternal souls are on the line. When the traffic light turns green, you don't just drive through the intersection and then stop. You continue driving to your destination. Now, our response to salvation is not a one-time thing. It's not something that we respond to when we're converted and then just stop. We need to continue driving to our destination. We need to continue to respond to Jesus' arrival, to the salvation that he brings on a daily basis. It's what we're created for. His coming demands a life of active response to the realities of his salvation. Jesus is not a text message that you can ignore or put on silent. Your actions are a response to him. So how will you respond to him? His arrival should cause us to respond to him in faith by praising him for our salvation, by pondering our salvation, Claiming his salvation. It's a natural reaction to the good news. His arrival requires a response. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank and praise you for sending your Son to the world to live the life that we could never live, to die and to rise again for our salvation. Pray that you would help us to respond to the gift of salvation in ways that reflect just how great of a gift it is. May we be a witness of the redemption that you've accomplished in us. By the, by the work that you've done and the power of the Holy Spirit, we pray that you would shape us more and more into the image of yourself. In 